Well, hello, and welcome to this week's Photographic Life. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had a sponsor, the Stoics. No money changed hands, but we both seemed perfectly okay with the uh, the relationship. Uh, this week, we've got another sponsor. It's the Beats. Artists, to my mind, are the real architects of change and not the political legislators who implement change after the fact. That's William S. Burroughs. I think the Beats would be quite happy with this uh, this week's issue. I hope they would, because it's got a certain kind of a patchwork, cut-up kind of feel and philosophy, I suppose, to it. Uh, starting this week, um, I suppose really... One of the uh, things that happened to me was that, as I was saying last uh, last podcast, um, I've been looking through reviewing old work and, and posting some of it up on my uh, Instagram uh, page, on the Yona Photo Instagram page. And one of the images I came across was of a naked DJ, in fact, two DJs, uh, UK DJs. And at the time, they both used to have a show on Radio 1. It was uh, Colin Murray and Edith Bowman. And uh, the picture was commissioned as a part of a portfolio of portraits I was asked to do of various celebrities uh, in the nude, naked, um, in a very tasteful kind of a way uh, for Cosmopolitan magazine. And it was to uh, raise awareness of of cancer and cancer charities. And um, I found this picture and I thought, well, that's kind of fun. It was a, a kind of a riff on the, the famous Janet Jackson album cover. Um, some of you may know or remember. And um, so I posted it up on uh, Instagram and I immediately had it taken down by Instagram. So I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Um, I'll put it up on Facebook. And it was immediately taken down on Facebook. Evidently, it breached their guidelines. Um, it doesn't actually breach any of their guidelines. And it made me realise, uh, kind of, I suppose, in a way... Um, where that censorship issue kind of becomes a difficult point. I, I wrote back to both to Facebook and I explained the situation and the why the image was commissioned and the whole situation behind it and that it had appeared in a mass market magazine uh, for women and um, primarily and uh, I have received no response back. Another story that came up this week were concerns of photographer who, again, we spoke about last week, uh, Nadav Kanda. I don't know if any of you have spotted this story, but it's an interesting one, I think. And it follows this kind of patchwork approach, I suppose, to things. But maybe they are, they are all connected. Uh, Nadav went onto Instagram and he posted that some photographer had gone to an exhibition where he had hung a portrait of David Lynch, uh, the filmmaker, and... Uh, that photographer had photographed uh, Nadav's picture on the wall, framed, and then submitted their photograph of Nadav's image, I hope you're with me on this still, uh, to a um, photographic syndication agency. That agency had then sold that picture to The Big Issue, a, a free newspaper um, set up to help the homeless, in primarily in London, but also around the UK. So Nadav... Um, put on Instagram, this is what had happened, and uh, called upon the photographer to get in touch. 
Now, I don't know where this has got to. Um, it's quite difficult to actually kind of follow this one through after that initial story. But I've seen a couple of posts, and it seems that the photographer took a photograph of Nadav's photograph showing the frame, and that the art department at the magazine perhaps may have cropped it down to be the cover. I'm sure everything was done in good faith. But perhaps it also introduces um, some big questions there. First of all, what was the photographer doing, taking a photograph of Nadav's work and then thinking it was acceptable to put that with a syndication agency for which they would then receive money? I don't think it's the fault of the client at all that they purchased that image. Uh, it's obviously not Nadav's fault. But the chain of events that occurred perhaps point at some issues in the same way as the posting up of the image I talked about um, previously uh, in that process of how things go through. Now, let's add to that. I saw a story this week about Donald Trump. We don't get too political on this podcast, but here's a little bit of politics for you. It turns out that um, Trump's people... Um, have been using stock model video footage um, as part of a kind of a campaign of people saying how much they believe in Trump. But it turns out that this is stock model footage. These are not his supporters. The words that are being attributed to them are completely false. Well, this all seems to be connecting to me. We've got narratives here going all over the place. Images being judged, images being used out of context, being put into different contexts and used for another purpose. Both the Trump images and the, the, the use of the Nadar image uh, are also secretive. They're trying to get away with something. Both of those things have got to be a concern for what we do. It reminded me of something that happened to me um, a good few years ago now. Uh, I photographed uh, a house of some people. They were German, German doctors, and they lived in Spain, and I photographed the house. Um, they allowed me into their house, and I had coffee with them and cake, and we had a, a very nice day. I gave those images, once they'd been shot, with all the correct model releases, to my syndication agency in London, and I thought nothing more of it. The images were then, um, maybe a year, maybe a year and a half later, were sold to a German magazine. And I received the payment for that. Not a huge amount of money, but enough money. No sooner had the pictures appeared in the German magazine than I received a phone call from a solicitor, a lawyer, uh, in Hamburg, uh, threatening legal action against me for selling the pictures. I stated that I had all the correct model releases, everything was signed, and I'd done absolutely nothing wrong. The solicitor, the lawyer, was a very nice guy, and he said, I understand what you're saying. However, I'll still be taking action against you, and it's probably going to cost you more to defend this than you got paid for the pictures. So why don't you just take them from syndication and hand back the money you made, and we'll call it quits. I did that. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. But I tried to be faithful and honest and truthful. And I didn't really want to upset these people, even though they changed their mind. 
two kind of sides of the coin there. One person trying to do the right thing and still getting caught out. The second of people doing the wrong thing and getting caught out. Maybe the moral is just take care. I think there can be few areas of photography more maligned, more looked down upon, perhaps more uh, less understood than wedding photography. Uh, if you've ever had to do it, and I did once, um, it's really hard, really, really hard. And uh, my hat is off to those people who create great work out of that situation. Um, of course, we all know um, that there are issues within that environment. Um, but let's at the moment focus on the good. This week, Ian Weldon is our guest explaining to us uh, what photography means to, to him. And he's a primarily a, a wedding photographer. However, as you're about to hear, things aren't quite as simple as they may seem with Ian. Ian Weldon uh, works as a documentary photographer in the north of England, predominantly photographing weddings, whilst working on long-term personal projects and commissioned work. With only a brief period of studying photography at a local college, Ian is primarily self-taught, as are many other wedding photographers. He has lectured at the Sunderland Visual and Performing Arts College on their Access programme, where he delivered a beginner's photography course, but left due to growing administration duties. Ian now delivers short courses on Adobe Lightroom, beginner's photography and project-based development. His project, I Am Not a Wedding Photographer, is currently being exhibited at the Martin Parr Foundation in Bristol, and actually it's running from the 26th of June until the 10th of August 2019, so if you're in the southwest, try and check it out. And a book of the work has been published by RRB Books. Ian also hosts a fortnightly podcast on photography titled Out of Focus. So this week, we're going to hear from a wedding photographer. What does photography mean to me? Photography means a great deal to me because it saved my life. I didn't come to photography until I was about 30 years old. And up until then, I was just like drifting with no real direction or purpose. I don't really believe that this was any fault of my own, or I didn't really believe it was any fault of my own. I just had no direction or positive influence in my life. My parents split when I was three years old, and me and my three brothers um, were all split and put into care. And my childhood, uh, because of that, was troubled to say the least. And after living with a family for most of that, I became uh, what I was told was disruptive and unmanageable and was put back into the care system. I mean, I had a lot of questions that I don't think were being answered at that time. And if they were, they weren't being answered in a language that I could understand. This leads me into a lot of trouble. I joined the army when I left school. I left the army after about three or four years uh, and then got into a whole lot more trouble. I worked a myriad of unfulfilling jobs and eventually, um, somehow, I stopped blaming my past for my current situation and realized that the only thing I could change about my life was the future. So photography had been around when I was younger and when I was a bit older, I often had a point and shoot camera with me. Uh, I'd always been interested in art and design but never spoke too much about that or never pursued it much. I think the kind of people that I was hanging around with at the time, they certainly wouldn't approve. I couldn't really 
I don't think they would have understood. It was about the age of 30, I decided to make a change. And photography was of interest to me. And obviously, I would look really cool if I was a photographer. And I enrolled on a photography course, a college photography course. Uh, and I spent five years just kind of scratching around, again, with no real direction, and became incredibly frustrated by my lack of progress with photography. And I didn't understand at the time how much work um, you had to put in to be a good photographer. I mean, I was still kind of believed that there was a magic button and I just hadn't found it yet. Um, so at this time, I decided to self-study and became really interested in photography history. And the ideas that were presented by people that helped progress photography scientifically and ideologically became somewhat of a philosophy to me. And at the time, I was a portrait photographer, or I thought I was. I had no real idea what I was doing. And I'd started receiving requests um, for weddings. I re resisted for a time because who wants to be a wedding photographer, right? But my interest in photographers that I previously didn't understand started to grow, like Martin Parr and Helen Levitt and Bruce Gilden and photographers like this. And I realized that they were just photographing daily life, documenting a social situation and commenting on the world around us. And when these photographers proclaimed that they were just photographing themselves, I tried to understand what they meant by that. And that's when the change happened in me. And my idea to start shooting weddings was to make money to work on other documentary projects. So I accepted a few weddings and what I started to do quite quickly was to apply my understanding of what photography was to weddings. And it's a genre that's so entrenched in tradition and popular aesthetic. And I didn't realize at the time, but weddings taught me about people, helped me to look at the world around me and in trying to understand those people in the world around me, I started to learn about myself. And that coupled with a growing understanding of photography history, I gained perspective on my own practice. I gained perspective on our time and started to consider my contribution to photography. I started to look at the world around me differently. And now this world is totally unrecognizable from the world I knew before photography. It's helped me to understand that world. It's to understand my past, who I was back then, why I was who I was back then, who I am now. And it's given me a purpose, which without, I would probably be in prison or even worse, dead. And photographer isn't my default state. I, I have to find the motivation to go out and do it. I have to force myself to do it. So it has to have some real meaning to me. And I know photography has helped to keep me from reverting to my default state, which is either stoner or drunk or cokehead. And in no underestimation, it saved me from myself. So seven years down this road of learning about photography and practicing photography, I now have an exhibition at the Martin Parr Foundation in Bristol. I believe it's the first exhibition of wedding photography in an art photography context. And that's something that I'm proud of, the fact that um, I've stuck to my guns and I've, I've done it the way that I think it should be done. And Martin has also co-published uh, my book with Rudy at RRB Photo Books. And although there are books and photographers that have tackled the subject of wedding photography, I believe this is the first of photographs made by the actual hired photographer, which again is something that I'm quite proud of. 
And it's fitting that the workers found a home at the foundation because Martin has been a huge inspiration to me, um, as much now as ever before. And we go back to the beginning in my ideas of photography, and I thought I understood what it was, and I thought it was easy. But the more that I understand, the more I realize photography is virtually impossible. And that brought me to the liberating understanding that, as Socrates so eloquently puts it, the only thing I know is that I know nothing. Well, if you had any preconceptions about photo uh, wedding photography before you heard Ian's uh, contribution this week or looked at his work, I think maybe uh, it might be, they might change. And maybe also it would encourage people to, um, you know, we often talk about this issue about making money and I would never do wedding photography. Well, maybe it's something worth considering. Funnily enough, I always remember uh, there's a body of work by the great French photographer Robert Duaneau of French weddings, which I've always really loved. And I can't remember where or how I saw them, but it would have been a long time ago. And I've, I've often tried to find them. There, there's one very famous picture of, um, I think it's a, like a bride and a, a groom, and but they're, they're sitting in a room. Maybe they're waiting at the, the local um, kind of hall of some kind. But that's kind of a famous one, but there's a lot more to it than that. So anyway, if um, you are interested in trying to find out about that, um, Robert Duano's work, and as Ian says, um, his work's down at the Martin Parr Gallery uh, down in Bristol. Now, also, um, there's a link on the website where this is posted as well at uh, unitednationsofphotography.com, and there's some links there about the exhibition and so forth. I think really... What's so great also about what Ian had to say there it was, you know, we had mentions of Socrates, we had mentions of uh, some of the great photographers of the last century. And, it, and I suppose it really brings together the reason I, why I do this podcast and why I'm so open to so many different areas of work um, and why I talk about this idea of not compartmentalising work. I think really what we've spoken about today with Ian's work and, and actually welcoming Ian onto the podcast in the same way that Martin has invited Ian into the gallery space is showing that actually as a medium, we should be open to areas of working and not putting these labels which are so restrictive, so defining and actually so negative. As I said at the beginning of the podcast, this week we have been sponsored by The Beats. As always, no money changed hands. It just leaves us to um, give you a final word from our sponsor. One day I will find the right words, and they will be simple. Jack Kerouac. And as I said earlier in the podcast, take care. Mm -hmm.